Welcome everybody to Mission Daily, another episode here. We have Steve Amos, CEO of Zero. Steve, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me. All right, tell us what Zero does. Well, Zero was born in 2006 in Wellington, New Zealand, and it was born with the the vision of improving the collaboration between business people and accountants when it came to preparing their financial information and reports. And it was built with the vision that the cloud or collaboration in the cloud would create a really good opportunity to share data in real time and provide both the accountants and the small business with the same view of the situation around the financial performance of that business. And from there, with uh, the open nature of the platform right from the outset, we connected in bank data, we connected in third-party applications and solutions, and Xero has evolved not only to, in a sense, revolutionize the whole notion of accounting um, from being a desktop application to being a cloud-based application, but it's also become a platform for a whole range of applications that small business can use in the cloud. And we've expanded from New Zealand into Australia, the UK, the US, Canada, and are now a global business with over 2 million subscribers. Uh, and we operate, obviously, um, around the world. Yeah. Now, this is a, for our listeners who aren't familiar. Zero is a monster-sized company. You guys are, are uh, this is not just some little startup that's just out there. You guys have over 2,500 employees. Is that correct? That's correct. Yes. And you have office, like you said, offices and businesses around the world. Yeah, we have offices um, in many cities around the world now, but really centered around Australia, New Zealand, the UK, and obviously we're expanding into other uh, parts, um, for example, South Africa recently from the UK and also in the United States and Canada. From our research on Zero, one of the things that struck out to me is that Zero, if I read about you, is you're very much focused on SMB or SMB is a focus of your business. And then your pricing plans are quite affordable, right? So you have price, you have products that are $9 a month to $60 a month uh, listed on your website. I'm sure there's other things you can add, but you know, there used to be this idea that you couldn't build software for the small business. Tell me how, I guess, Zero approaches that, that market, because as you know, small businesses tend to, you know, they churn faster or they might have more needs. You're making less margin per, per customer. Tell me how Zero approaches building software for, you know, small business. Well, look, I think that's what's most special about Zero is the fact that, you know, software has been there for medium size and large businesses now for many years. And what we're doing is we're bringing that same power to small businesses. And we've done it in an incredibly affordable way. So our average revenue uh, per customer is about $30 a month. And the reason why it's worked so well is the collaboration we have with accountants and bookkeepers, uh, particularly in Australia, New Zealand, the UK, pretty much all the markets we operate in, there's a high proportion of small businesses that rely on their accountants and bookkeepers for support. And because Zero has been a tool that supports the needs of accounts and bookkeepers and small business in a collaborative platform, not only does the small business get help coming online and getting access to this technology, but the quality of the data in Zero is very, very good because you've got an accountant and a bookkeeper making sure that what is being entered is the right quality. So through that partnership, through beautiful software, which our customers love because it is so easy to use, we've been able to find a way to get really high penetration into a market that was previously very hard to reach. So for example, in Australia and New Zealand now, around 60% of small businesses are connected to the zero accounting platform. 
and that is far greater penetration than any other uh, business application in small business. From what I read, you're now the CEO, but you weren't at the, you weren't one of the founders, so you didn't build up with it. I guess, what is the overarching strategy? Like, what is the difference between Zero and those other products that has allowed you to, to, to grow like this? Well, I, I have to say that the, most of the incumbents built their businesses in desktop software. Gotcha. So we are, we are the cloud, uh, let's say, innovator. And we've been copied by the others and, and good on them because there's a great opportunity there. And quite frankly, the more companies out there who are promoting the adoption of cloud-based accounting and other business applications, the better, because the penetration globally is still so low. So in a, even in the US, where you have had a very strong incumbent on the desktop side, the penetration of cloud accounting, which is really so much more powerful, is still around the 10% or less. So really? 10%? Still, 10% or less. So there's still a massive market opportunity in the United States North America more broadly, and around the world. So what I think that's a real testament to Zero's innovation and leadership is the fact that in Australia and New Zealand, you have this high penetration rate. UK is now growing very strongly for us, and it's probably up around 20. But the rest of the world is in that range of you know, pretty much 10% and, and, and overall at about 20 if you look at it globally. So massive opportunity ahead. And so our strategy is really about continuing to drive adoption Leveraging accounts and bookkeepers is a great pathway to getting small businesses engaged. It's about building our ecosystem, making sure that small businesses are aware of all the wonderful applications you can now add to the Zero platform to help you run more of your business online. Uh, and then also building Zero to scale because we see our, we're growing very fast. Our revenue last half grew 30%. And <laughs> if we continue to grow at that rate, um, we need to um, make sure we're doing the things today that enable us to be what we will be in the future. Your path to being the CEO here is a little bit different than I would say a lot of others, right? Because it seems like you were very high level operator, some monster businesses like Microsoft, uh, non-executive director, you're president and chairman of a couple companies, but you, you weren't an operator for a little bit. What brought you, I guess, what brought you back? Well, you know, you, you're right. I've had an opportunity to work with some of the, 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 the leading technology businesses in the world and, you know, that's a, a, a wonderful experience to have had and feel very privileged to have had those experiences. When I came across Zero three years ago, came through a conversation with Rod and other members, uh, our founder, Rod Drury, and other members of, our, uh, of the executive team. And I could see from the experiences I'd had that Zero was at a really, really interesting point in its evolution, starting, and it's quite unusual to have companies that achieve global let's say, go global reach coming out of this part of the world. And as an Australian who'd worked with uh, wonderful American-based technology businesses, I thought, wow, wouldn't it be great to, to get involved with a business that comes out of our part of the world and extends into a global uh, environment. So I started working with Rod, helping him in the areas where he really wanted help to scale zero to be a global technology business. And about 18 months into it, uh, he and I had a conversation where he quite opened up to me and said, look, you know, you've really helped me a lot where we're putting, putting the processes in place to enable Zero to continue to scale, but the work that's needed isn't work I love doing. And um, he said, uh, would you like to do it? And so we, <laughs> we had a long, <laughs> I, I had a bit of a think about it, but it didn't take me long because it is such a special business. You look at our progress, our financial performance, it just reflects the fact that we, 
we have a wonderful purpose, which is about helping small businesses and their advisors and their communities around the world because small business is community, it's family. And the more we can help them, the more we help um, people around the world. And we're very much in that place of being able to do something for small business that's a segment that has been overlooked a lot by the technology industry. And so when you look at all of that and experience I had in the past, I thought this was, uh, in a sense, an opportunity that, that was just super special. No, I, lo- I love hearing that. The, uh, we, we hear all the time about how there's like different types of personalities for different types of stages of the business, right? From zero to 1 million or, you know, people use different numbers from zero to one, one to 10, 10 to 100, 100 and beyond. They often say that there's different attitudes or personalities or things you have to focus on. For yourself, what do you think are some of your strengths that Rob, you know, Rob saw like he just saw strengths in, in that you had. Yeah, look, I think Rod Rod had tremendous vision. He still has wonderful ideas and, and inputs as a board director to the business. Look, I, I have a view that there's not a lot of difference between small businesses and large businesses in the in terms of the fundamentals you've got to get right. But there's a difference in the how you do it, not the what. So the what is you have to be clear about your purpose and your priorities. Now, you might never be 100% there but you've constantly got to think about that and, and build, in a sense, the discipline of checking in on why we're we doing what we're doing and what's most important. So that clarity is really what I obsess about. And then the second part of it, which is even tougher, is aligning with that. So whatever you aspire to do and you, you call as your priorities, the hard part is then making sure your people, your money and your technology is really focused on executing those things that's a big job getting that the bigger you get to the, the the more challenging that alignment piece becomes because even though it's fundamentally the same for a small business and a large business in a small business you you can get aligned by just having a conversation in the meeting room in a large business you need to implement processes that enable that alignment to take place and then you have to be really honest and disciplined in reviewing your performance and how you're going because guess what when you realize things aren't working as well as you hope, then you have to revisit what your priorities and your purpose is to make sure that you can't, to, to try and refine that. And that's in a sense, the iteration that startups need to go through consistently, you know, clear, clear then align, then execute. Oh, okay. We change, we change our priorities. We, we now realign and now we execute and you iterate around that until you find that magic formula for growth. Well, in a large business that's been successful, as you deal with change, you've got to do the same thing because change is a process of experimentation, uh, mistakes that become success, and that journey is very similar. So that discipline of really thinking about the people, the investments, and the technology, making sure they're really optimized for what you believe you want to accomplish at any point in time is, in a sense, the discipline and the obsession I bring that um, a creative person like many founders, um, isn't necessarily that motivated to go do. So they're more excited by the process of creating when they were able to touch every element of the business. And once you get to a certain scale, it takes a discipline that is different. Oh, I love it. Curiously, do you have any anecdotal stories of things that you, that you applied these principles and strategies to? Something around the idea of, you know, like this was, we wanted to take on this, let's say, task or fee or this strategy. So this was my method of creation and create giving that clarity. This is how it got aligned. And this is the end result. Do you have any stories like that? 
oh, look, I lived the story. And <laughs> I lived it for five years when I was CEO of one of the very, very early digital businesses that happened to be a joint venture between the biggest media company in Australia and Microsoft. Yeah. It was called 9MSN and I became the CEO at a time when there was no online ad market. So this was when all the experts in mainstream media said that banners don't work and digital's never going to pay. And <laughs> Anyway, so as CEO of that business, I'll tell you one story, which was about a year into our journey, we were very well funded. We we're unusual as a startup because Microsoft and the company, the media company was called PBL. They put $100 million into this business. So we had money, we had technology, we had smart people. And about a year into the journey, we were producing, you know, I don't want to say rubbish because that's a bit hard, but it wasn't very good. Yet we had the best work environment. We had people creating. Everything was wonderful. And I got everybody into a room at a time when I was a little bit confused as to why when our work conditions and environment was so great, why weren't we producing better? And I asked everybody, and I was able to do it because there was 100 people in the company. We we're all in a room. I said, uh, how happy are you working here? And we just did a one-question survey, and the score was four out of ten. That's and I couldn't bad. believe it. I know, pretty <laughs> bad. bad. And I couldn't believe it because um, I'd come through, I was a lot older than the rest of the company. I'd come through some tough times, and I thought they didn't realize how good they had it. Anyway, I, I paused and sort of allowed myself to, to take, take in the news. And I said, okay, what's the problem? And I was absolutely knocked out because the problem was this. They said, Steve, we aren't sure about what we are trying to do here. What is the purpose of this company? What is our bigger picture priority? Because even though we're creating every day doing different stuff, we don't know whether it's the right stuff. We don't know whether we can win. In fact, we think we're doing too many things. And as a result of that, we're liable to fail in many areas. And it just, and it was something I'd always known. And it was really about getting a clear purpose and priorities in place. So we did that. And over 12 months, we narrowed down 10 activities to three. We got really clear about the purpose of the company. And we also framed up the culture and the way we want to treat each other and behave. A year later, I did that survey again, and the score was eight. And it was never less than eight in not only the four following years that I was CEO, but the next five that I was on the board of the company after I'd moved out of the CEO role. And so that was a phenomenal lesson for me in the importance as CEO of being obsessive about clarity and making sure that everybody sees the connection between what they do and what's most important. And that has really shaped uh, my, my thinking and the way that I am as a CEO uh, more than probably uh, any other experience. I'd love to hear your opinion on why do you think it is that so, you know, because it's, it's told time and time again that actually businesses should do uh, fewer things better than more things kind of good. You know what I mean? Where most CEOs tell you to maliciously or books on leadership, like you got to prioritize, you got to narrow your focus, you got to serve a smaller market, like get that right before you do something else. But why do you think that mistake continues to repeat itself across different businesses? Here's another good book called The One Thing, which uh, also hones in on this. And, and look, and I was very lucky, you know, in my journey, which just tells you, gives you a bit of an insight to maybe how old I am, but I was at Apple when Steve Jobs came back and I was running the Asia Pacific region. And so I observed firsthand what has been written up uh, in many, many books now. 
and is really well documented. And, and, and I do say the most significant thing that, that Steve Jobs did when he came back to Apple was to reduce what Apple was doing by about 75%. Wow. <laughs> and you, could, you could see it. You could see how the quality of the Mac proposition improved because we weren't trying to do, and we had expanded at that time into crazy stuff, you know, peripherals for Windows machines, computers around Windows and Mac and all sorts of stuff to try and be like Windows rather than to be truly what Apple was all about, which was being different. And the, the payback there was inspiring. Uh, I can remember uh, there was this thing called the Newton handheld device, which was a platform that Apple had. It was a kind of a precursor to the modern day PDA and Jobs killed it. And I remember emailing him and saying, do you really want to do this given there are thousand thousands of developers who are going to be pretty upset? And he just sent me back a one-line email saying, we must save the Mac. And so, so that was in practice um, something that definitely inspired me. And I'll tell you the problem. The problem with getting focused is it means saying no. It means saying no to good people around you who have great ideas. It means saying no to doing things you might be afraid not to do because you think someone else might do them. So it is about having courage and conviction that the things you're not doing really enable you to focus more and do what you need to do better. So it's a lesson we all struggle with because humans don't like saying no to each other and they also don't like missing out. So it is one of those, uh, those elements and capabilities that we need to be mindful of. And it's one that I certainly talk to my team a lot about because you're always inclined to do more than you should. You know, hearing your anecdotal stories like that, and then also I think about what you're operating or what Zero is today, right? You talked about that mission of clarity and alignment, but at the same time, software is like a very fast moving industry, right? Where there's features that need to be launched and customers have high expectations. You're in accounting. Oh, that means laws change every year. Like in every, I don't know about other countries, but I know in the States they change. So at the same time, your company has to move fast. And then we're also our modern workforce has tremendous communication technology that didn't exist, you know, back when you were at Apple where your real time communication is basically always on. So how do you control or how not control, but how do you align the company when so many messages could potentially get lost in a, even just a calendar day, you know, for, for a business like yours? Well, that's, that's the challenge. And uh, I'd love to say that we we've nailed it, but we, <laughs> I don't think there's any organization on the planet that's nailed that one because yeah. it's impossible to, it's a, it's a race. So look, I think the fundamental is make sure everybody understands the big picture priorities. So for instance, uh, you, you actually touched on a very good example. In our case, over the last 12 months, we've had major government compliance initiatives that we've had to respond to uh, single touch payroll in Australia and payday filing in New Zealand, where Governments want companies to report digitally uh, whenever they pay their employees. And we've had making tax digital in the UK where, you know, increasingly the government wants um, sales tax reporting done digitally. So we're seeing this happen and, and moves to open banking, which is a really fascinating shift that is going to continue to drive innovation in financial services. So we have to respond to those things, but all our product teams know that those initiatives take priority because you can't sit and debate. <laughs> you can't sit and debate whether or not the government changing the law is going to have a significant effect or not. We have to be there and, and make sure that our customers can be compliant. So it really is about making sure big picture priority and then enabling your people to make good judgments themselves because 
I don't want to be there telling people what to do every day because that would be disastrous for our ability to move and move quickly. So we've got great leaders. Um, we really focus on developing them and developing them in a sense as connectors of the big picture purpose of the company to direction day to day and help day to day of their people so that their people are doing the right work. Whenever we talk to tech CEOs, you guys are very, in my opinion, very clear on servicing customers, right? Like I can hear your voice about, for example, making sure the product is up to compliance uh, with government laws. Cause you, you know, if it's not, the product doesn't work, the product doesn't work, they won't stay. And in tech more so than any, or maybe not more so than any other industry, but in tech, it feels like the CEOs constantly recognize that my customer can just pick another product if we don't deliver for them. And, but I believe that's true of all products. Why is it that you think that some of like, uh, you hear about all the time, like the legacy businesses, like retail is a primary example where they haven't really figured out how they're going to improve their customer experience. Why do you think that idea is lost to maybe some like the older, slower moving businesses? It's a great question around why the tech industry maybe is more progressive, not just around recognizing the importance of the customer, but also in practices around our people and developing our people. And I think it comes down to one thing. The tech industry has been one that's experienced constant change, whereas other industries perhaps have only had to confront change at the pace we're talking now in more recent times and often they've confronted it when it's too late. So for tech industry, change is, is, our everyday, is our everyday experience. And we know, therefore, that if we aren't reading our customers well, we're going to fall out of alignment with them. If we aren't engaging and making sure our people see that and are skilled and capable to respond to that, we really feel the pain pretty quickly. So I, I think that's why you know, the technology industry has such a people orientation and a customer orientation that, that other industries are, are very quickly trying to develop, but uh, I guess coming from a much tougher place in getting there. Yeah. And the other thing we were, our thing our audience is going to be very curious about is, you know, Mission Daily, we've, we've interviewed so many business leaders, but most of them, they're from America, like we're centered almost in the Bay Area. What is the tech environment like in Sydney? The tech, look, the tech environment in Sydney, Melbourne, uh, Auckland, Wellington, it's, it is absolutely, uh, it's growing very, very fast. And I think that what's happened also, if you look at the US, is that it's no longer just Silicon Valley. You, you're seeing technology centers uh, and actually renewed technology activity happening in some of the older towns like Boston, New York, and, and many other cities. So I, I think this is just, I think the world is changing. And because technology is so accessible to young people, you've got a lot of young people now who aspire to create their own business. And so we're seeing that down in this part of the world as we are, uh, as you are up uh, in the Northern Hemisphere as well. So very similar. And, and, you know, as an Australian who lived in the U.S., actually lived in the U.S. as a school kid and then worked with American companies for many years, the difference between us is, is not that significant. What we probably haven't had that the Northern Hemisphere has had has been that ecosystem of very large tech companies that, that spawned startups uh, many, many years ago. Uh, now we're starting to see that or we're starting to see the opportunities because the platforms of large companies like Amazon and Microsoft and others extend into our economies and also create that platform for people to innovate in this part of the world just as they have in other parts of the world. So I'd say it's vibrant and it's fast growing. 
There you go. And another thing that, so a lot of us companies talk about, and I'm curious if you face the same, I know you're worldwide, but you know, from your, from your Australia or even global perspectives is the lack of, or there's not enough available talent. Right. And so like in the Bay area, we always see like prices extremely high for developers. Cause obviously they're, that's the most coveted positions or coveted roles. So like the, there's just a, not enough effectively of really great or skilled, the right skilled people. Do you see that same maybe skill gap in Sydney or is that quickly closing? Look, I think that it, it, this is also a function of, of where we are in the technology industry cycle. So skill shortages have always been there in, in the technology industry. I can remember years ago when, you know, it was about relational database skills and there's always been as new programming languages evolve, you have the same issue. So I think skill shortages are always a reality in the industry. I, I tend to feel that it's really on us to really deal with that. So I think that everything from recruitment and doing a good job of recruitment. So a lot of organizations that complain about skill shortages, you've got to ask, well, is your recruitment process world-class? And I think we are all learning and all developing and, and all can do better in that area of attracting the right people. But I do think we think we can also work um, more strongly in our economies with, uh, with the universities and, and uh, government to make sure there are more graduates uh, coming out with those skills. So I tend to see it as an ongoing issue and it would be almost a little bit scary if it wasn't a problem because it would suggest that maybe we've stopped moving forward and moving fast. Uh, but it does force you to, to make sure you're doing a good job of attracting and retaining your people. It also then says you should have some good partnerships with third-party providers. It also says you should look strategically at your workforce planning. Who do you have where around the world? And are there places you can go to source talent that you may not uh, be present in today? And so we look at all those things. And on one hand, I'd say, yeah, we have those challenges. And on the other hand, I'd say, well, Let's hope those challenges continue for a long time yet because it'll be a good sign that we're growing. And how about for yourself? What are some of like the cultural values or the unique things that you've done at Zero to recruit and retain great people? It's important in a sense. The most important thing is to make sure the culture you have, we call it um, an inside out approach, which says we have to be true to ourselves. And for us, the core value at Zero is something we call hashtag human. I haven't actually worked in a company before that called being human a core, <laughs> a core value, but what it means is that we genuinely care about each other and the impact we have on each other. We want people to be their real self when they come to work, and we, we demonstrate that through our partnership with accountants, bookkeepers, the community, and other and our customers in the way that we interact with them. If we make a mistake, we own up and we, we rectify it. We don't we speak in, in a real and honest way with everybody we do business with and that we connect with. And what that does, I think that's probably the most significant thing because it spreads a nice message out into the broader community. So now when people think of or hear about zero, they hear good things from, from others because it's what others say about us that's more important than what we say about ourselves. So at the heart of being able to track great people is you've got to be a company that people talk really positively about. And the only way you can be that is if you genuinely are, you know, true to that in the way you treat each other internally. So I'd say that's the foundation uh, of our ability to attract great people. 
it shows in your uh, reviews, I guess, you know, when you look at all the software review companies that let you review accounting products for small business, zero consistently is over, uh, you know, four, I guess no one's got a five-star review, but you guys, a lot of five, four and a half, four-star reviews, tons of them. Well, we just had ZeroCon, which is our annual conference in, in London. We had over three and a half thousand people there and it was written up as the Glastonbury of, for accountants, which Glastonbury being a big rock concert where like <laughs> thousands of people every year. So, you know, you mentioned part of it is being human and I wanted to kind of let our audience learn a little bit about you because we always, uh, we always want to ask questions about you outside of work. So who, who is Steve outside of work? What do you like to do? Uh, I love hanging out with my daughters and they have six children across the two of them. So I love spending time with my grandchildren. I'm an absolutely fanatical New York Jet fan, so I spend a lot of time watching American football. Now, now, now first of all, how did that happen? Yeah, yeah. That's painful. The Jets well, are not very good. I know, it's <laughs> terrible. It's a cross-eyed year, I think. But um, no, it's tough. It's tough. Um, but, uh, you know, I, I, I live in hope that one day, um, I guess that when I think about my bucket list, there's only one thing on it, which is to see the Jets win a Super Bowl. And um, I'm hoping that will happen one day. But, uh, but look, for me, you know, I love spending time with my family. I travel a lot and I enjoy that. Love reading and thinking about the way that uh, the world of work is evolving. There's so much uh, interesting stuff happening around that. So that would probably be the main thing, uh, main things that I, I think about outside of uh, being at zero. Yeah. What about for reading? What's something you've read recently that you would recommend? Look, a book that I've read and my team has read that is a really good guide is The Advantage by Patrick Lencioni, which is in a sense uh, a book about how you, the things to think about if you want to really drive organizational health. So that's one that I, I really, uh, really enjoyed um, reading recently. How about, do you read anything just for pure entertainment or is most of your reading centered around business and the future of work? Yeah, look, I, I do. The, uh, my favorite author is a fellow's English author called Robert Harris, who has written some fantastic books that are fact-based fiction. So he's written books about you know, the life of Cicero, the uh, Roman uh, politician, uh, orator and writer. Uh, he's um, written some books. So essentially his books... For example, one of the recent ones that was really interesting is called Conclave, and it was about the election of a new pope. And so he applies, in a sense, the, the facts behind what happens in a fictional context to give you that insight. And so all Robert Harris's books are a really fun read, particularly for those who like that blend of um, historic, let's say, relevance with, uh, with, uh, with that fictional side. Steve, you know, you've taught us a lot, given us a lot of color into your life, uh, your interests, building zero. Um, but we always will always also want to hear your tips for how, you know, other people can better operate. So let me ask, is there any thought or an, a thought, experiment, a challenge, a type of call to action you would love to leave for our listeners? I put this thought or challenge out there, which is that as a, as a CEO or a senior leader in an organization, that whatever time you currently spend on making sure there's clarity to your organization and that everyone and everything you do is aligned with what's most important, I'd suggest that you could double it and still not do enough. So whatever you think you're doing in that area is bound to be less than what you need to be doing in that area. So that would be the challenge I would put out there. Excellent. And 
I mean, I feel like guys, that's a tip for ourselves because one of the things that we have a challenge of, even though Mission's a small and growing company, we we still have that problem. Just like you said, even if whether you're a thousand people or in our case, 16, sometimes that clarity gets lost. So absolutely. I agree. We definitely, most of our mistakes are because of that. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And then we always ask for a nice tip that is universal, whether you're a small business all the way to the CEO of a publicly traded company. What is a good interview question you recommend to use when hiring? Question I love to ask is to ask someone, ask the person I'm interviewing, tell me about the toughest situation you've ever experienced in dealing with another person and how you handled it. Well, Steve, I'm going to ask that to you. Tell me about the toughest situation you've ever had dealing with a person. Oh, I've had a few. (laughs) (laughs) I've had a few. Uh, It's funny because um, when my team comes to me now with uh, challenges in dealing with others, I often will do the, the role play exercise with them. And I did this just not that long ago with one of my team. And uh, they, were, they were saying, oh, having challenges, having this really tough conversation with someone on another person on the team. I said, okay, let's role play. I'm that person now. So what are you going to say? So they started off and they went straight to the issue, straight to the issue. And, and basically, you know, it was along the lines of, hey, this is a real problem and we need to fix it. And I said, okay, stop, stop, stop right there. I said, let me coach you a little bit. How about you start with, hi, <laughs> how are you? How's it going? What's happening? You know, because um, there's a lot going on and, you know, I'm really, really keen. There's a couple of things I want to talk to you about, but I, I really want to see, you know, what's, what's going on. And so the point is that, that we've got to slow down a little bit and be human and be empathetic. You know, there's a lot of talk about the importance of empathy nowadays and, and I think that's so important because unfortunately in the world today, with all the communication that's happening, things are becoming simplified. That there's so many complex issues that are being turned into issues that are the right, wrong, yes, no. Oh, yeah. And the truth is there's nothing like that because depending on where you come from and the context, there's a lot of complexity to how others see the same thing you see. So what it means is we've all got to slow down, pause, and understand that just because I think the answer is yes, doesn't mean that I can just sit on that. I have to take the time to have empathy with those who think differently and understand their position. Where are they coming from? Why do they see that? And guess what? Often, often when we differ, it's only in our language, not in our intent. And so so I think that's the, the big thing that I, I think is the, the thing I've learned is that you've got to apply empathy. So what I look for in the answer to that question is whether or not someone knows how to apply empathy. You know, like one person I interviewed just said, I went to my boss, complained about that person and, um, you know, got him fired. You know, I, I thought, well, that's not exactly the kind of culture I want to see around here. You know, it's, yeah. So, so it's one of those questions that gives you a little bit of an insight into the, the level of empathy somebody has, a level of maturity they have in the way they interact with others. So, so it's, a, it's a pretty powerful question. And, um, you know, in dealing with tough situations, what I've learned now is I've got to, got to bring my A game, which is not play from fear and, and um, let's say, emotion, but come from a good place, which is around how can we all be better for the conversation. No, I love that because you're absolutely right. We live in a, it feels like in modern times, especially like when they they talk about cancel culture, right? People are just hanging on to one specific event or one action saying that is exactly who you are. There is no way around it. You should 
step down or you should be fired. Or it's like people have to live these infallible lives. Like that's not, that's not how people are. That's true. We are, we're all human and we're all on a journey and we're living in the most rapidly changing environment ever. And what that means is that on that journey, we have to appreciate that those who are going to miss out or lose in that journey have to be looked after. And those who are winning need to do their fair share to help. And unfortunately, that conversation about the winners and how we look after them and sorry, the, the losers and how we look after them and the winners and how they contribute isn't really getting enough airtime. You know, we're just talking about the, what we want the future to be without really giving ourselves enough time to think about what it means to get there. Absolutely. Sage advice. Steve, did you have a good time on the show today? I loved it. Thank you. Awesome. Hey, listen, I do not know though, if you're going to get to see the Jets win right now. <laughs> I'm just saying, I don't know. I know. I'm, I'm, well, since you don't have deep ties to the NFL, and you know, maybe you can pick a new team. I don't know. <laughs> Look, yeah, my brother, who is also a Jet fan, has defected to the New Orleans Saints, and I'm seriously thinking about the Seattle Seahawks, given that I have lived in Seattle and love the place. Uh, that's good. Steve, thanks for coming on the show, sharing your knowledge, your leadership philosophy, and also giving a little insight into the culture of Zero. For those of you guys that are looking for accounting products, go give Zero a look www.xero.com. They got all times of pricing for different packages. Steve, thanks again. Thanks so much. Really appreciate it. Really enjoyed the conversation. Thank you. All the best. Mission Daily and all of our podcasts are created with love by our team at mission.org. We own and operate a network of podcasts and a brand and story studio designed to accelerate learning. Our clients include companies like Salesforce, they're a customer times five, Twilio, and Katera, who work with us because we produce results. To learn more and get our case studies, check out mission.org slash studios. If you're tired of media and news that promotes fear, uncertainty, and doubt, and if you want an antidote to all that chaos, you're at the right place. Subscribe here and to our daily newsletter at mission.org. Each morning, you'll get a newsletter that will help you start your morning and your day off right. Hey, listeners, thanks for tuning into this episode. I hope you enjoyed it as much as I did. If you haven't already, please subscribe, rate, and review this podcast. It helps spread the word, and I would greatly appreciate it. See you next time.